Matchbook presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today we're talking about the first movie. Okay, guys, so I know we were going to dive into Chamber of Secrets, but I got to thinking and I made an executive decision. I knew we were going to have to talk about the movies at some point, and a lot of other podcasts wait to talk about the movies until the end of getting through the books. Um, But my experience reading Harry Potter was that um, my mother always told me that I needed to read the book before I went to see the movie. That was the rule in our household. So I really read the books sort of right before the movies came out. I was a little late to the Harry Potter game. I don't really remember reading Sorcerer's Stone. Um, I don't remember seeing the movie in the theaters. I don't think I did. I think Chamber of Secrets was actually the first movie I saw actually in the theater. And I actually only really remember reading. My earliest memory of reading Harry Potter is actually reading Prisoner of Azkaban when I was in elementary school. So I decided for this podcast... Since we're going to go over the movies anyway, let's at least do it in the same fashion that I did, where I read the book and then I watched the movie. And one of the things that I really like about this first movie is that it's actually very true to the book. There is only like a few changes um, that they make and a few things that they leave out, but I think overall, I really actually think that Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets are the two that are closest to the books as far as adaptation goes, um, to the point where I just reread Chamber of Secrets for our upcoming episodes, and there are so many scenes that are just straight verbatim uh, in the book that they are in the movie, and I can only hear them in the actors' voices because I've seen those movies so many times, but the text is literally taken straight out of the book and put onto screen. So we're going to talk about the movie overall, what's in it or not in it compared to the book, and sort of talk about it as an adaptation in and of itself. So right off the bat, this movie starts off with Dumbledore and McGonagall. Uh, So we sort of miss that entire beginning part of chapter one. Uh, This movie picks up right at the end of chapter one when Dumbledore appears on Privet Drive right before dropping Harry off at the Dursley's front step. McGonagall's transformation into a cat is super stellar and I just love the play that they have where it pans away from the cat and you see her shadow morph back into a human before she steps back on screen. Uh, And another thing is that actually McGonagall is not as emotional in the movie as she is in the book. Um, They go much more in depth about James and Lily and that there's all of this celebration you know, throughout the day, we miss all of those owls that are flying in and out all over the place throughout the day. We don't hear about the different parties. We don't really know that anyone's really been defeated or not. We just know that Harry has been saved. He's the boy who lived um, and Hagrid is bringing him and McGonagall is much more stoic, I guess is a good way to describe it, in the beginning of this movie than she is in the book. Another change is that Harry is 
automatically invited to the zoo. It's not that they just have to take him because there's no one to watch him. He's actually, they're planning on bringing him anyway. And honestly, (laughs) the Dursleys are the worst types of people in the zoo. I love going to the zoo. I go multiple times a year. Um, I'm a member of my zoo and I hate when people can't behave at zoos or when people bring, I don't want to say children because I think animal education is important for children, but when they bring children who don't know how to behave around animals. So like banging on the glass like the Dursleys do. I hate when people do that, mainly because those animals are not there for your entertainment. They're there for your education and they're just chilling. We should just be able to leave them be and just observe from afar. So when they're like screaming at the snake to move and they're banging on the glass, I just wanted to slap somebody in the face. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, Harry gets his revenge by sort of trapping Dudley into the enclosure Um, and that is something that's also a little bit different. I'm pretty sure the glass doesn't reappear in the book if my memory is serving me correctly. So that is something that I thought was very clever of the movies to do where Dudley falls into the enclosure and then when he gets back up, there is glass in his way and he's stuck in the enclosure. So like I said, that we don't get to see all of those owls flying back and forth like we do in the book in the very beginning. Uh, We do see them all over the place when Harry's letters arrive. We see them all over the, um, the car and the lawn and the roof. They are just never ending. So it's very much like a never ending presence of the magical world. And there's just such a determination to get Harry his letter. And actually, this is a deleted scene. You know how in the first book in the beginning, Petunia actually finds letters in a whole dozen eggs? So they actually do have that as a deleted scene in this movie. Uh, So it's going to be on the second disc or the special features disc, whatever you watch it on. Or if you stream it, I'm sure there's something. Also, if you watch it on TV, when there's a Harry Potter marathon on TV, because you guys are new to the Harry Potter community, there is a channel. It used to be ABC Family. I'm pretty sure it's sci-fi now that has the rights to stream Harry Potter on television. They will have Harry Potter marathon weekends all the time. They're the best. And When Harry Potter plays on TV, it is actually the extended editions. So all of the deleted scenes are usually in the version that they play on television. So you can actually see those scenes in the movie themselves whenever it is played on television. Another change in the movie is that Quirrell is already possessed by Voldemort. So he can't shake his hand when he meets him in the Leaky Cauldron. Uh, But he does in the book, so he's not quite possessed yet. He's able to shake Harry's hand. The shots of them capturing the bustling street of Diagon Alley is still one of those really iconic scenes where you can just recall the music at any time, and it really captures all of those descriptions that J.K. Rowling gave us of Diagon Alley and all of the shops that they visit. I think that's such a wonderful magical scene and how it pans to all of the different shop fronts and this wizarding world that we're diving into for the first time. And we don't get the roller coaster ride that they give us in Gringotts in the book. The focus is much more on what's in the vaults rather than how they get there. So next we have Ollivander's shop 
I'm just going chronologically through the movie at this point. So this is something I always see in my head when I read the book because, again, so many lines are taken straight from the book and put into this scene. And a lot of the dialogue is exact. Ollivander is really the one who sort of brings up Voldemort um, when he talks about selling the wand and how his wand is um, shares a phoenix feather as Voldemort's does. And then the conversation that Harry has with Hagrid comes after it in the movie, when in fact they have that conversation beforehand in the book, where Harry gets the whole history of his past and what actually happened to his parents. We also do not meet Draco Malfoy in Diagon Alley in the movie. Uh, He comes later after we get to Hogwarts, and he calls out Harry for being Harry right before the sorting ceremony. And going along with that, Harry actually goes straight from Diagon Alley to Hogwarts in the film, even though technically it's July and Harry isn't due at school for another month. But they don't specify what day it is or what month it is in the movie. So I guess technically it's okay that... It's just that Harry has birthday, Hagrid picks him up, they go to Diagon Alley, and then Hagrid leaves him to, I guess, essentially find his way to King's Cross, but he's already in London. He doesn't have to ask the Dursleys to bring him to the station. He doesn't have to go back home and then have them bring him to the station before school. He does still find the Weasleys on his way to Platform 9 and 3 quarters, or trying to figure out at least where Platform 9 and 3 quarters is, but Fred and George do not recognize who Harry is like they do in the book. We actually don't really hear from them at all. We see them with their little, you know, jokes back and forth with, with uh, Mrs. Weasley, and then Ron sort of comes into Harry's compartment on the train, and that's where they meet and they sort of begin their friendship. You know, they bond when Harry or they have the the exchange of, oh my god, you're Harry Potter, uh, after Harry introduces himself. While in the book, Fred and George actually recognize him almost right away, and they're talking to their family about it just outside of the compartment window before the train leaves. And I just have to say, the casting in these movies is just, it's just perfect. I mean, everyone, like Harry, Ron, Hermione, all of the teachers, I can never see anybody besides... Alan Rickman playing Snape, or Maggie Smith playing McGonagall. It, it's just perfect. And Hermione is just so super unlikable the first time you meet her, just like in the book. And Harry and Ron's friendship just comes across immediately as well while they're sharing all the candy. Just everyone is just so great. And I just, it's funny, while I was re-watching this movie for this episode, There's just so many expressions that Emma Watson makes in this film that she still makes to this day. There was like an expression I think that she made in the chess match, like right after the chess match. And I was just like, oh my God, she literally made that expression like 20 years later in Little Women when I saw it this past weekend. So it's just so funny to see her like, you know, baby, baby, like 11 years old and like now and just how people have progressed and also you know, how certain people can just look almost exactly the same in a lot of different ways. So when we get to Hogwarts, there isn't a very long description of the boats like there are in the books. But I love the shot that they have where they, they're in the boats and the camera's above them. And as they move forward, the camera pans down. It like tilts up but sort of pans down a little bit so that we're even with them. And we get to see Hogwarts 
from the angle that they're seeing it. And it's just that's the moment where Hogwarts becomes real and you finally get a real visual of it and see it for the first time and it's all lit up and it's magical and it's huge and it's almost like impending as they, you know, approach it because they're so small and it's so big. And I can only imagine, I've never been to Harry Potter World at Universal yet and I can just imagine like that same sort of moment when you walk into the park and you see Hogwarts in the distance. And I just think... I hope it's as magical <laughs> as the movie is and how I, I think it is because uh, I've just heard just like wonderful reactions from Harry Potter fans who have been. And actually one of the things that I want to point out is that um, if you ever find yourselves in London, there is a studio tour of Harry Potter, which is just outside of London. You get to go into two big studios, Studios J and K, and it's just like all straight props from all of the movies. So definitely don't go until after you've read the books and seen all the movies, and it's incredible. I cried through the entire thing, but I would say another thing that you should definitely do besides that is that there's a car tour that you can actually get in the city where they will take you to filming locations in London that you can check out and sort of see movie locations in real life. And part of that tour is they will bring you up to Oxford so you can see one of the courtyards that's in Goblet of Fire and you can see and walk up the staircase that the first years walk up before the sorting ceremony. So I've actually been on that staircase and it's super cool and it's just Hogwarts just it like again just like that movie shot it just like becomes real for like a real moment so I definitely if you guys find yourselves in London at all if you're not going to do the studio tour definitely do the driving tour it's incredible so this is where it's on this staircase where Draco Malfoy calls out Harry Potter and we're introduced to him for the first time and he's still very unlikable like he is in the book but I couldn't help but sort of realize that in this film, both Hermione and Draco put down Ron immediately as they meet him. So Hermione automatically is like, oh, are you doing magic? Let's see then. And then it doesn't work. And then she's like, oh, well, I've done this and it's worked for me. And then Draco like is comes around and is like, oh, well, I don't need to ask you your name. You're clearly a Weasley. Harry, there's some wizarding families that are better than others and you should be my friend and not his. And I had this realization as I was watching this film and I was like, oh my God, like there's these two characters that are very unlikable right off the bat. But the thing that they really do is that they put down Ron like immediately in front of Harry it was a very bizarre thing to sort of notice the overlap between Hermione and Draco. And then we go into the Great Hall and we get another amazing shot of Hogwarts and this place that we're going to be spending a lot of time uh, in. And this is another thing with the studio tour that oh, they let you in through the Great Hall after playing you a bunch of videos of Harry Potter and it's very emotional and then the screen rolls up and the entrance to the Great Hall is right behind it and I just cried like I just cried and it's one of those things where it's like I at least like for me and like for I feel like this is true for a lot of Harry Potter fans where like the very early movies are just so emotional and like the music in these movies are really what they're like the rhythms and the tunes of 
Harry Potter and you can recognize them anywhere. And so you just get so emotional because you get all nostalgic. You know, it's just a very emotional thing. So, you know, that's one of the things where, like, when I was watching this movie, you know, it really brought up a lot. But that was another thing where it's like at the studio tour, you know, they play you all these videos, they get you right in the feels, and then it, like, opens up and, like, you can just, like, walk into the Great Hall and it's just like, oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> I promise you guys, as adults who are reading Harry Potter for the first time, you will understand all of this by the time you are finished with this podcast and all of the books. You will be just like me where you will be able to walk into Universal or um, the studio tour or something like that and you you will get emotional too. I promise. Things to look forward to. Okay, so the sorting hat comes next. And in the, I don't know, I was thinking about this while I was watching this scene and I wasn't sure if the sorting hat in the film was actually having the conversations out loud or if it was speaking so we could visually see it speaking but nobody else could really hear what was actually going on. Because I was gonna, I was gonna say that if the sorting had had those conversations out loud in front of everybody, that would be terrifying. Where just all of your secrets and like your opinions and stuff are being broadcast out to an entire group of strangers who have no idea who you are, but especially in Harry's case, know only the rumors about him. And then you just have like your soul and your thoughts just splurted out in front of everybody. Like when Harry's like, no, not Slytherin. He's like whispering it. And the sorting hat just goes, not Slytherin, eh? In front of this entire group. And it's like, oh, bro, you didn't have to say that out loud. I was just asking you like quietly. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But I, you know, the more I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, maybe this is a situation where no one else can hear the sorting hat just you inside your head like in the book but it was just a visual medium to see the hat as like a character in and of itself i'm not sure but it's just something i noticed and something i really wanted to bring up and going along with this ron gives the line there isn't a witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in slytherin and like i said in previous episodes this is a lie it's not true we have had plenty of bad wizards that are not from Slytherin. And now that we've finished book one, prime example, Quirrell. Quirrell was not a Slytherin and he is not a good good guy. So yes, point proven. But I can see why he says it in relation to Draco Malfoy because the hat doesn't even touch Draco. It just like barely makes it to his head and it just screams out Slytherin. And that's when Ron says the line. So that makes sense that he would say that in reaction to that because he thinks you know, obviously Draco's a bad guy and he gets in Slytherin and then, you know, those two, I guess, correlate a lot of the time. But like I said, people aren't evil because they're in Slytherin. People are evil and they just happen to be in Slytherin. And also bad people can come from other houses. It's possible. Quirrell is a prime example of this. So next, Harry, his scar hurts and he makes eye contact with Snape. And oh my goodness, I miss Alan Rickman so much. (laughs) Oh, just every time I watch these movies or like anything that Alan Rickman's in, I just, oh, I miss him so much. Bless his soul. And it's also just one of those things, like I said earlier, where it's the casting is perfect. I can't imagine anybody else 
bringing what Alan Rickman brought to Snape. Even just the little flourishes of his hands and how he deals with his cloak and how he like turns very fashionably almost. It's just that it's he just he made that character and I don't I hope they really never actually remake Harry Potter like in that you know era so that I just I don't think you can compete with Alan Rickman. I just I can't. I'm calling it now. And so we get that scene where Percy is showing them to the common room and I can't help but wonder how long it takes to get from point A to point B in Hogwarts. Uh, Especially with Gryffindor Tower, it's got to take you like 20 minutes to get from the Great Halls to the Tower, no? So it's like you can't just like accidentally forget something in the common room because like you're not going to have like 5-10 minutes to get it. It's going to be like a half hour, hour process to just get up there, get it, and then walk back down to wherever you need to be, at least by the grand scheme of things and sort of like how big Hogwarts looks. That's at least what it looks like to me. (laughs) So then we get our potion scene, which again is almost verbatim from the book, and it's wonderful. And again, I could rant about Alan Rickman all night long and maybe I'll have a special episode dedicated to him if you guys want but yes again he's perfect as Snape and again this scene is just like you can hear it when you read it off the page once you've seen the movie a couple of times we still do find out about the robbery of Gringotts um, via the newspaper and Neville still gets hurt during flying lessons although it's a little or a lot more dramatic than in the book Which also, if it had happened the way it happens in the movie, I would never get back on a broom. (laughs) I wouldn't. That that was like scarring near life, like near death experience. I I would never get on my broom again if I was Neville. I wouldn't do it. And this is also the scene where we get one of my mother's favorite lines, which is Hermione when she goes, what an idiot. And we quote it a lot in this household. (laughs) But this is also the scene where, again, like the book, Harry proves himself to have the potential of a seeker when he catches the Remembral. And Fred and George are actually much more subtle in this in this movie than they are in the books as far as their antics and their jokes go. But we do get a scene where it's right after Harry makes the team and they're like, oh yeah, no one's died in years. It'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. And Harry's like, what? <laughs> um, so we do get their personalities shining through in this film. Uh, and a change that they do make is that they make James a seeker in the films, which I'm pretty sure he was not in the books. I really want to say that James was a chaser, not a seeker, but they did change that in the movie. And while we're talking about changes, uh, there's no midnight duel. They find the third floor corridor on accident, which they do do in the book. Harry and Ron find the door and they're trying to force their way into it when Filch catches them and gets them in trouble but they thought it was like a different door in the film they stumble upon the third floor corridor and actually get in to um the room with Fluffy when the staircases change on them and they find Mrs. Norris and they're like okay get out of here and Hermione lets them into the room and then they turn around and they see Fluffy it's not part of their flight um away from the duel away from Filch in the trophy room And then we get a scene of Oliver Wood explaining Quidditch, just like in the books, and also the Wingardium Leviosa scene, which is really what seals the deal of Harry and Ron not liking Hermione, or more specifically, Ron, like in the book. And what's interesting to me is that Hermione is the one who points out that Harry's father was a seeker in the film, 
which means they're sort of kind of hanging out already all together, and I really don't think they are in the books. Her presence is definitely there ahead of time in the film when it's really the incident with the troll that solidifies their friendship. You know, you get much more time in the book of Harry and Ron thinking how annoying Hermione is and commenting on, you know, all of these things that she does, which you don't get because you don't have the time to put that into a film. So it's really this scene with Wingardium Leviosa that seals the deal, which causes Ron to B-I-T-C-H about her uh, to the boys, and then she gets upset and walks by. And she runs away, locks herself in the bathroom, and she gets upset. And then comes one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie, and possibly in the entire film series in general, the Hogwarts feast on Halloween just looks divine, and I want to have Halloween at Hogwarts every year of my life. Oh my god, that feast looks incredible, and it just, the whole hall looks amazing, and I just want to be there. I want to live there. I want to eat there. Oh my god. Oh my god. So then we find out about the troll, and I love the moment where Dumbledore screams silence, and they all stop immediately, because he has that command, And he is always soft-spoken unless he has to yell, which is one of those things that we'll talk about it later. Unfortunately, Richard Harris, who plays Dumbledore in the first two films, did not live long enough to do all of the movies. So there was an actor change to Michael Gambon. And their Dumbledores are very different. And we will talk more about that when we get to that part. (laughs) But I just really love how this Dumbledore is very soft-spoken. He commands respect and a room, and he does not raise his voice unless he absolutely has to, like in this moment when there's chaos. And the boys go to save Hermione like they do in the book, but they don't accidentally lock the troll into the bathroom with her like they do in the book. They just happen to see the troll walk into the girl's bathroom because the door was open. The rest of that scene is pretty spot on, though, um, with Ron using the spell to save Harry and Hermione covering for them and then their BFFs afterward. Another change is that Harry does get his broom. There's no mention of it being against the rules, and they're allowed to open it at the table, which is not allowed in the book. Also, (laughs) this is one of those things where it's like, Harry, it's clearly not a bowling ball. It's a broom. What else could be in that package? I would understand if it was like a cylindrical package, but in this film, it's literally just like paper over the entire length of just like the broom and it's just it's a broom guys (laughs) it's not much more complicated than that I love the shot where Hedwig after she drops off the broom she goes to sit right next to McGonagall so that you know she's the one who gave it to Harry I just think it's such a clever way to reveal that and it's just so cute she's just like you know chirping right next to McGonagall and McGonagall looks at Harry and smiles and it's really cute And then before Harry's first game, Oliver Wood shares his story of his first game. And the story, Oliver, is not comforting, bro. I don't know what you're doing, but that was not a comforting story. So I just want to read this passage because I found that the way they did it in the movie was a lot clearer than it was in the book. So this is when Hermione sets Snape on fire to stop him from jinxing the broom, or so they think him jinxing the broom. So it says, quote, Hermione had fought her way across to the stand where Snape stood and was now racing along the row behind him. She didn't even stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front. 
Reaching Snape, she crouched down, pulled out her wand, and whispered a few well-chosen words. Bright blue flames shot from her wand onto the hem of Snape's robes. It took perhaps 30 seconds for Snape to realize that he was on fire. A sudden yelp told her she had done her job. Scooping the fire off him into a little jar in her pocket, she scrambled back along the row. Snape would never know what had happened, unquote. And that's in my version, page 191. So in the film, Hermione goes under the stands to set fire to Snape. She goes behind so that she's like underneath where they're sitting and in line with their feet so she can sort of stick her wand out in like the space and set him on fire. And then he stamps it out when he notices and then it's his reaction that knocks Quirrell over two rows behind. Because if Hermione was behind Snape in the row behind him, enough to knock Professor Quirrell over herself, sets Snape on fire, and then scoops it up and runs away, how does nobody see it? How does nobody notice that she's the one who sets him on fire? That's always confused me in this passage in the book, and so I thought that this was actually better in the film. It's much more clear and much more believable as far as uh, the description goes, as far as the action goes as well. So before Christmas in the movie, we learn about Charlie and how he works with dragons. And we do get a Norbert plot in this movie, but no Charlie drop-off. Dumbledore is actually the one who ends up sending Norbert away, Uh, We don't see a scene of it. Hagrid just says it before they serve detention. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. But so Harry has his first present-filled Christmas, which is so wonderful, and he gets the cloak. And he uses it to get into the restricted section. And like in the book, he finds the screaming book, which I still, I'm just wondering, what is in that book? And has anyone ever needed to take it out in order to read something from it for like research purposes? And how do they, is, is it like, can you put a silencing charm on the book while you read it? Because I'm pretty sure in the book, there's no face that comes out of it. Like in the movie, the movie has like the face. I don't know how you would end up reading that book at all. But I'm pretty sure in the book, it's just, the book just screams. So I'm very curious as to what that book has in it, why it screams, and who would need to take that out of the library. So then Harry finds the Mirror of Erised. Which, did you guys read the text of that backward yet? Let me know. Um, Because you should. And he brings Ron back down to see it, and then we see Ron doesn't see what Harry sees. And then it sort of cuts to a shot where Harry's sitting alone in front of it. And then Dumbledore walks in on him. And they have the whole conversation about the Mirror of Erised, which again is very similar to how the book has it. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live and how men waste away in front of the mirror of Erised because they're just caught up in seeing their glory and not actually doing anything to achieve it. And then we get a shot where Hedwig changes the seasons as she flies around the castle, and that's actually a shot that they'll use a lot in these films, so keep an eye out for it. I really love it. I think it's just such a clever and easy transition scene to use Hedwig, and we get to see an exterior of the castle, and then we get to see time passing. It's just really nice and sweet, and I really like seeing it a lot. We don't find out about Nicholas Fumel from the Chocolate Frog card, uh, like we do in the book. Hermione just remembers the book that she had taken out of the library, and we find it from there. And then they go to Hagrid and tell him, and they find that Norbert is there, 
um, and we don't get the whole process of you know, over the course of a couple weeks, the egg hatching slowly, the egg is like right about to hatch when they arrive. And then we get another one of my mother's favorite quotes. Is that a dragon? Yes, yes, it is. It is a dragon. And Draco does peer into the window. And then they get caught on their way back into the castle from that visit with Hagrid. So it's not that they forget the cloak at the top of the tower. It's that they're just not wearing it when they come back into the castle from being at Hagrid's hut and that's when they get caught and so then it's Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Draco who all serve detention in the Forbidden Forest instead of Harry, Hermione, Draco, and Neville. Also there were no repercussions of losing all of those house points after being out of bed after hours like there is in the book when they lose 50 house points each. There's none of those social consequences that you get in the book. So it's here, before they go into the forest, that Hagrid mentions that Dumbledore sent Norbert away to live in a colony in Romania. And Charlie actually is not mentioned in that scene, but ultimately that is who ends up, you know, it's on that reservation that Charlie works at that Norbert ends up at. So they go into the forest and there's no scene of Neville and Draco and Draco scaring Neville or anything like that. Hagrid pairs off Harry and Draco right away. Uh, and we don't actually meet the centaurs first. We only meet friends when he comes to save Harry from the figure that's drinking the unicorn's blood. And we also don't hear about their divination skills or their like eeriness and talking about how bright Mars is tonight, anything like that. Harry also doesn't ride friends, but we do find out that the figure was Voldemort and that he's probably after the stone like in the book. And Hermione gives the line about how Dumbledore is the only one that Voldemort ever feared, so as long as Dumbledore is around, Harry's safe, and then of course when they need Dumbledore next, he is not at the castle. So Harry also still does have the realization that the person who gave Hagrid the egg probably also was trying to find out information about Fluffy and the other animals that Hagrid has taken care of, and Hagrid's the one that tells him that the music calms him, and they find out that Dumbledore isn't at the castle anymore, and then the end plot really ramps up at the end of this scene. So Harry says, we go down the trapdoor tonight, and there's no awesome line with Ron saying, oh, but will it? Will the cloak cover all three of us? By that point with Harry's line, the whole trio was all in on this mission. And Neville does try to stop them, and again, gets Petrificus totalis. Uh, and there's also, actually, I realized that there's no spying on Quirrell and Snape after the Quidditch match. The only time Harry really is able to spy on Quirrell and Snape is when he is escaping from the library under the invisibility cloak. He just happens to run across them chatting in the hallway. There's no real plot of them trying to be nice to Quirrell because they think he's the one who stands in the way between Snape getting the stone. It's really not brought up at all. The only sort of suspicion you have is Snape confronting Quirrell in that scene that evening. So let's go through the different challenges under the trap door. So Fluffy, they actually don't bring the flute like they do in the book. The harp is already going and they just don't notice the spell wearing off. So there's this moment, they're looking in the trap door, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, it's kind of quiet in here, what happened? And they have to like jump down the trap door before Fluffy wakes up because 
Uh, he does. And then they end up on the Devil's Snare, which is definitely a lot more dramatic in the movie than it is in the book, with Ron not being able to keep his SHIT together and calm down enough to get through it. So Ron definitely freaks out in a way that he does it in the book. Hermione is sort of the one who... She knows, she recognizes the plant, but she's the one who has that moment where she's like, but there's no wood, I can't make fire. And then Ron's like, are you kidding me? Are you a witch? Like, you can make fire with your wand. So that doesn't really happen. He just panics. And then eventually Hermione needs to use a spell in order to get Ron sort of down underneath the devil's snare with them. With the keys, Ron and Hermione actually do not help Harry with this task. Harry does it himself. And the keys actually, all of the keys attack him while he's trying to get the old one that he needs for the door versus just needing to track down the big one and sort of it being a little bit too fast for them because in the book they need all three of them sort of need to trap it in the movie as soon as harry gets on the broom all of the other keys are like flying around him and making it very difficult to get to the key that he needs in regards to chess ron does take the lead like he does in the book and i love the sequence of this with the pieces just exploding every time they're taken. Uh, it's so tense and it really shows that they're in real danger here if they make a wrong move. And in the book though, when Ron sacrifices himself, the queen slaps him like right across the face. But in this adaptation, she legitimately pulls out her sword and stabs the horse and he falls off that way. It's sort of the piece explodes and he falls and lands on the ground. And the music leading up to that moment is super intense. It's so crazy. Definitely gets your adrenaline going for sure. But then there's no troll and there's no potions riddle. So Hermione stays back with Ron after the chess game to sort of wake him up and then get help, essentially. And Harry continues um, into the next room, which is where he does find Quirrell. And what I don't understand about this in either the book or the movie is that when Quirrell asks Harry what he sees in the mirror, why Harry makes up, like, a new lie like, why couldn't he have just said, oh, I see my family? Because that seems like a very believable lie. Because it is what he saw before in the Mirror of Erised, just not right now. And it would make sense that Harry's biggest desire would, would be seeing his family. Not necessarily winning the House Cup or anything like that. Because that seems like a bluff that's easily called. <laughs> At least to me. And in this, Quirrell doesn't burn and bubble up um, when Harry touches him. He actually burns and turns to stone and starts to crumble and fall apart. And Dumbledore doesn't arrive to save him at the last minute. Quirrell falls apart and then Voldemort, who's like a form of smoke, flies through him and Harry falls and passes out and then wakes up in the hospital wing. So when he wakes up in the hospital wing, um, we don't get as many questions as we do in the book between Harry and Dumbledore. We do get the answer as to why Harry couldn't be touched but Dumbledore brings it up. Harry does not ask about it. And Harry also doesn't ask about why Voldemort wants to kill him so badly like he does in the book as well. So we don't get as many answers or lack of answers in the film like we do in the book. And again, I just love this Dumbledore portrayal so much. And this is one of those things where, you know, like I said before, these movies are very nostalgic to Harry Potter fans like me. And I just cry through the end of this movie <laughs> um from like the great hall scene and then especially when harry's like leaving on the train and they're waving um hagrid and harry are waving at each other as it pulls out of the station oof it just it always gets me 
and the music in this movie is just like it just brings you back to like the beginning days of Harry Potter and things like that and so you know the ending of these films are just so emotional but they're so wonderful but yeah and I think this is a film that really does the book justice like yes there is absolutely things that are missing as far as scenes that aren't you know there are changes that they make between the book and the film which I think are understandable but for me I've always thought that even if the details aren't exactly right between the book and the movie if it keeps the spirit of the book alive then it's a good adaptation a great example of this not to bring another fandom in but uh, Fellowship of the Ring actually the entire series of Lord of the Rings films by Peter Jackson I would argue are great adaptations because it keeps the spirit of the book alive even though they change a bunch of things and I think that's why those movies are so popular not just because they're good movies but because they're also good adaptations because an adaptation doesn't necessarily have to have everything that the book has because certain things don't translate onto screen but it needs to keep the spirit of the story and the characters alive and that's what really needs to make the transition from page to screen in order to be a successful adaptation so this one I really feel like it does Harry's characterization I think is really good as well as the introduction to this entire magical world and the visuals of this world as well. It really brings Hogwarts and the Wizarding World to life in a way that you know it could have gone in a very different direction in the hands of different people but it's you know this was the first visual medium where we could see things from Harry Potter that we had only just been imagining before. And I think, you know, it takes good scenes with good dialogue straight from the book, puts them on screen, and these actors just did a fantastic job with them. Um, So I would definitely say that even though, you know, certain things are left out, that this is one of, like, the really good adaptations of a Harry Potter, like, book to film. A lot of people don't think that the earlier movies are that great as far as adaptations go, but I am inclined to disagree. And also, you know, these are the shorter, the beginning books are the shorter books, so it's a little bit easier to translate them. Uh, not as much happens, It, you know, the length is a little bit more friendly to a two, I think this was two and a half hours pretty much, which, which actually surprised me. I was expecting it to be two hours because I feel like nowadays every movie is two and a half hours. I actually didn't expect a movie from when it was made to be two and a half hours already. But I hope that you guys enjoyed this movie. Let me know if you think it's a good adaptation or not. How does your perception of certain characters or certain things? I'm sure many of you, even if you are reading Harry Potter for the first time, I'm sure you've seen the visuals of a Harry Potter movie before. So does that inform your reading or vice versa? Are there still things that you imagined differently? Are there scenes and things that you really wish that they had kept in? So let us know. Email us at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at firstyearspod. Uh, We're having actually a lot of opportunities to win house points on Instagram, so be sure to check our stories. We'll do like little questions and stuff, and if you answer it and you add in like an emoji or something that describes your house, uh, you will get house points. And as always, if you uh, rate and review us on wherever you listen to us and you include your name and Hogwarts house, 
you will get a shout out on here as well as earn house points for your house. I believe Slytherin may have tied Hufflepuff by now with the latest house points thing that we did. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. We're actually going to be giving away our house cup after we read Chamber of Secrets. And I just broke down all of the episodes for that for you guys. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're actually going to have some guest stars for the second book, but I am really excited as to where our discussions are going to lead throughout uh, Chamber of Secrets. So I hope you guys are excited. Follow us, shout us out, let us know what your favorite part is, what you've enjoyed so far, and we will see you next time. First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. All of our sources for our episodes can be found in the show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Special thanks goes to, of course, J.K. Rowling, who's the author of our main source, Harry Potter.